Welcome to the March 29th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is Colossians chapter 3, verses 20 through 25, and the sermon is entitled, God's Basic Building Block of Society, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. I'm going to continue on in a sermon series as I have been preaching through the book's of Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. It's a four-book study. I'm getting toward the end of it now. Uh, We're in the book of Colossians, but this has been called our GE Power Company Study, GEPC, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. For those of you who are visiting with us today, this is getting toward the end of a long sermon series that I have uh, created over these days. Today we're going to finish chapter 3 of Colossians as we study God's basic building block of society. God's first institution that he created was the institution of family. Uh, And we know that family is crucially important to our society and to the creation of uh, family units through our life that we know are so important to every one of us. And also today, as we finish looking at the family unit in Colossians chapter 3, there's another uh, relationship that I'm going to cover in this sermon, and that has to do with our work relationships, who we work for and who we work with, and how that relationship in working in our lives is to be an offering to God. Even with this virus that is going through our society, we worship together. Yes, it's in a little different way today and in Sundays to come. Most of us are not physically in the sanctuary today, but praise God, we're worshiping together through media, and we're together in that way. But listen, friends, even though we might be worshiping in a different way, the church is still the church. And the church still has a gospel to proclaim in every day that we live. Can I get a collective amen on that? We're grateful to know that the church is still the church. And even when our days are challenged, we are to carry the gospel into the world because there are so many who need it. There are so many today who need it in our society, people who are scared, people who are fearful, people who need the love and the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ in their life in a special way in this day. So the church remains the church, and we take that good news to the world. In the very best week, however, as we think about collectively being the church, we know that we are together in any given week, maybe three to five hours a week as we gather as the church body on Sundays, on Wednesdays, for other meetings. Three to five hours probably is a good week for us as we come to the church. But when we think about our families, we realize that we are connected together as a family unit 168 hours of the week. So the family is crucially important in the life of Christ, in the life of ministry. Today, we know that God commissions us as a church to share the gospel. But remember this as well. The Bible commissions us as families to share the gospel, to live the life of Jesus Christ so that we as families can be a witnessing unit in this world that needs the love of Christ. Now, as Paul addresses the family in the book of Colossians, he says that there is a proper and godly rank and order if our families are to be godly. And the way that the order of our family works is this. Number one, first and foremost, Jesus Christ is the head of every family. If we're going to be living in the pattern and in the way that God created us to be family, Jesus has to be the head of every family unit. If we're to be the family that God created us to be, 
then Jesus Christ is the head of the family first and foremost. And all of the family strives to follow him and live for him and to live under his word of guidance. And then as we allow Jesus to be the head of our family, the order of the family is this. In the, in the physical arrangement of the family, the husband and the father is to be the spiritual head of the family. The husband, the father, is to love Jesus Christ and to follow him, and he is the one who provides the headship to the family in a physical way. He is the spiritual leader of the family. He sets the pace for the family to travel in the love of Jesus Christ, to worship him, to serve him, to be that family for him. And in that role of headship and leadership of the family, the husband and the father earns the respect and the love and the help of his wife. And they then walk together as a team in serving Jesus and leading that family in the lifestyle of Jesus Christ. The, the husband is no better than the wife. The wife is not lesser than her husband, but rather the husband and wife live together and work together and walk together as a team in Christ. But the husband is the one who is commissioned by God to set the spiritual pace for his family under the headship of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The greatest, most blessed home in all of the world is established in the Lord. The Lord is the foundation of that home. And that home can be effective and loving together as they gather under the love of Christ and serve Him as a unit, as a team in this world, as witnesses. Also on the ground floor is this. That couple... And that family needs to be in the church. I believe that when Jesus Christ created the church, he created it so that every believer could be a part of a believing family, so that the family is connected together by the love of Christ. I believe every Christian should be a part of the church. But I also believe this, that every Christian family should have the church within their home, that the Lord Jesus Christ is honored and worshiped inside of the home. Now, in the last sermon in Colossians, I spoke to you uh, about Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, God's word concerning the husband and the wife. Today, we're going to move forward in that study. By God's grace, many couples are blessed with children. And couples take up the responsibility to raise their children in the right way. In order to do that, we're going to provide them food and clothing and shelter and protection and education and all of the things that ties in with being parents that God wants us to be. But I want to say this to you, parents of children. They are the principal people in your entire life to whom you are to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our children are one of the greatest mission fields that God ever entrusts to us as families, that we're to lead those children to the Lord Jesus do not fail, parents. Do not fail your children there. The greatest joy and the greatest victory of parenthood is when we see our sons and our daughters come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, following our footsteps there. As we lay that track, as we lay that pathway for our children to follow, when they follow moms and dads to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the greatest victory of being a parent. So God gives us his word through Paul in this book of Colossians about our children. I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, 
Right now, this moment, we're going to look at verses 20 and 21. Keep your Bible open. I will go further than that this morning. But verses 20 and 21 of Colossians 3 say this. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Let's think about those two verses for a moment. There is much to be said about children's rights these days, and we hear that around every corner. Let me give you two basic rights that every child should have. Number one, the first basic right of a child is that he or she has the right to be born into life. And that right has been taken away from many, many children. Since 1973, over 63 million children have lost that right to live. Isn't that a sad figure? You know, today I do not take away from the hundreds of people who are suffering from this coronavirus, for the many people who are in the hospital, and for the deaths that have resulted because of this pandemic that's going through our world. I don't take away from that. We pray, we pray for God to deliver us and heal us from that. But I do remind you of this. While we are losing hundreds and hundreds to a pandemic, I want you to remember in every day of our life in the United States of America, we lose over 2,000 children. That's since 1973. That pandemic has gone on close to 50 years. We need to stand up for the right for children to be born, for the right for children to live. That's their first right, and it is a right that is given to them by God. We need to stand up for that. The second right that a child has is this, to be raised in a loving, caring, stable home. That is the base level of the Bible. As God gave Adam and Eve marriage when he created them, he created the foundation for raising children in a godly home, a home where the Lord is honored, a home where godly parents will raise and love and discipline their children that they might be raised in the love of God, giving them wisdom, giving them guidance in every turn of life. And Colossians chapter 3 verse 20 says, give children one sole responsibility. Our children's one responsibility is to obey their parents. I think that's an interesting thing to teach our children, that they are to obey their parents. That model of God, a child growing up in obedience to godly parents who are teaching them the right things and teaching them a life of righteousness is absolutely necessary for the life of a child. Of course, we learn from, from, from birth to our final days on earth. We're learning something every day. But God says the first learning curve for a child is to obey their parents. Children learn from birth to live under the proper authority of their moms and their dads. That's the beginning of their learning. Obey your parents. And as they grow, they learn, up, they learn what it means to grow up in obeying other aspects of their life. As they learn to obey their parents, they also, as they grow, learn to obey their teachers. As they learn to obey their parents, they also learn to obey the law. As they continue to grow up, they learn from obeying their parents that they're to treat others with respect because they have been treated with respect by their parents. As they grow up, they learn to live under the authority of their employers. As they grow, they learn to live under the authority of the Word of God, and it begins by obedience to their parents. 
And, of course, the greatest obedience is when we come to Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, understanding that he went to a cross and he rose from the grave that we might have life everlasting. And we want to enter into that relationship of obedience to a Savior who lives in us. So it begins with obedience to the parents that children grow into learning the proper authorities of life. Ultimately, a godly home leads them to Jesus. How important that is, parents, that we give our children that firm foundation. Their walk of obedience learns them to independently grow up to be men and women of good character, men and women of righteousness, men and women who will choose to do the right thing as people of God themselves because they have followed their parents to Jesus Christ. It all starts in the home. Now, I want you to notice a word that we find here in Colossians 3, verse 21. Fathers, notice this word in a special way. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. That's an interesting verse. Actually, the word for fathers here in that verse in Greek is pater. The transliteration is P-A-T-E-R, pater. The reason it's interesting to me is that exact word is used in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. And here's what that verse says. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. So the word pater in Colossians 3 is translated fathers. In Hebrews 11, it's translated parents. So really, what we see here is a grammatical possibility that perhaps this word could be parents don't discourage your children. I think really that fathers here is very fitting as the word that is to be used in this verse. It is correct and it is accurate. And the reason I believe that is because fathers, you and I have a great bearing on the futures of our children. Mothers are natural born nurturers. Fathers, we are to be those men in our children's lives in particular that give them special direction and guidance and discipline from time to time, guiding our children in love. You know, my dad has been gone over 19 years now, and I think about him every day. I think about the good things that happened between us. Sometimes I think about the things that weren't so good between us. I can tell you one thing that I always hated to hear my dad say. Son, I'm going to work on the car. You come help me. And I knew what that meant. It always meant that I was going to hold the flashlight so he could see down in that engine to get that part that he needed to fix. But the sad truth of the matter is this. I never could hold the flashlight in the right place. It never turned out well when I helped my dad holding a flashlight into an engine of a car. Well, those are memories that at that day weren't so pleasant, but they've become funny to me now. My son, Gabe, is watching uh, this streaming today, and I imagine that he can re relate that same thought, that he never held the flashlight really well for me either. Uh, but those are things that happen between dads and sons. But for me, the greatest accomplishment in my young life was when my dad smiled and patted me on the back for a job well done in something that we did together. Dads, you play a critical role in the lives of your children. As we think about the charge to both parents, we know that every parent has a critical role in their child's life. But I am 
truly amazed that this verse is directed to we fathers, that we play such a role in our sons' and daughters' lives. Dads, discipline your children, but don't discourage your children. That's the word that we see here in Colossians 3, 21. Provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Discipline in love. You know, a child with a broken spirit will easily fall prey to Satan. We have to be careful how we discipline our children, that we discipline, but we also always build them up in love. I've often heard it said that if a child does not feel love and encouragement in their home, they will find it somewhere else, and sometimes in very unhealthy patterns. It's very important, parents, that we raise our children in a godly way. So consider your child, parents, as the greatest ministry and mission opportunity that God gives you and me in life to bring our children to the love of Jesus Christ. And remember this, parents, it's never too late. If your children are grown and gone out of the house, we can still make a godly impact on those whom God gave to us to raise up and to continue to be moms and dads through the extent of our lives. Parents always strive, no matter the age of your child, to make a godly impact there. Well, as we get to this point in Colossians chapter 3, Paul changes gears now. We're going to look at one other relationship that Paul addresses in the passage. Employer and employee. This is an important passage for most of us, so let's read it together. Colossians 3, go to verse 22. Paul says this, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Well, as we think about these few words, of course, we live in a day and an age that these words don't directly apply to us. Slavery by coercion has long died from us and been abolished. But the concept of voluntary and household slavery was not condemned or condoned in the Bible. It was just a fact of life in the first century when this letter was written, as well as centuries prior to that. Slavery in the Roman Empire was just something that was accepted. In fact, history tells us that the Roman Empire had somewhere between 4 and 5 million residents 20 to 40 percent of all the residents of the Roman Empire were slaves. So this word from Paul in Colossians chapter 3 and the first verse of chapter 4 applied directly to his day. Interestingly, we know that the slave relationship is one human being literally owns another human being. It was a very unequal human relationship, one man literally owning another man. But here's where Paul ties in the gospel. Paul says, but when a master and a slave both come to Jesus Christ as Savior, 
then the slave relationship of owner and slave is overcome because of the equality Jesus brings, bringing them together, not as master and slave, but as brothers. And they are on equal ground at the foot of the cross as two saved men, master and slave alike. So Paul's word was groundbreaking. It was something that was never heard of before, that a master and a slave through Christ were equals. A complete reversal of the relationship that was understood in the culture of the day. And Paul's word to these believers now, these are, he's talking to Christian believing people here in Masters and Slaves. Paul's word to the believing slave was to obey the master's will and rule in the life. Work hard, do not work grudgingly, but always put a positive spin on your work, not because you're working so much as a man-pleaser of your master, but because you're working to please Jesus Christ, the true master. Do your best in your work environment to please Jesus, the master of your life. Work hard because you're working in the field of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, look at your productive work, not so much as obedience to a human master, but rather as trustworthy service to your true master in Jesus Christ. Stay true, stay strong in Jesus even as you work. Look at verse 23 again, Colossians 3, 23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. And then if you would skip down to Colossians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul teaches the master to treat his slave, that Christian slave, with fairness and with equality. Now, that's a huge statement of progress in the Word of God speaking to the culture of its day. To treat a slave with equality had never been heard of. To treat a slave with justice was something that just didn't happen. That was just a piece of property. Paul says, no, he's your brother now. Treat your slave with justice. Treat your slave even with love because of the love that Christ has given to each one of us. Give dignity to that person who is working for you. You know, I love the way Paul reminds the Christian slave owner, you might own a slave, but remember that you're a servant too. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Master, so he's speaking now to the Christian master. Give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. So Paul reminds that slave owner that he too is a slave to Jesus Christ, his Savior, a bond slave, one that serves the Lord with love through the grace that's given to him through Jesus Christ. Well, certainly we don't live in a nation that tolerates slavery anymore, but this word is not dead. The Word of God is living. No matter what it might be embracing in the moment, it lives to teach us. We have a word of teaching that applies directly to us. As Paul is talking to masters and slaves, he's also talking to us. And we need to apply this word to our own lives. If you're a boss in your work relationship, tr treat your employees, treat those who are working for you and with you with respect, and with dignity, and with justice, and with fairness. That's what Paul is saying to those who have someone under them. Treat them with dignity. Treat them with wisdom and fairness. 
Because remember, the master of heaven is guiding the boss, the one who has authority over someone else. You are serving the master of heaven as you're relating to those who are under you and your authority. Now, if you are under the authority of someone else and in the way of an earthly boss, you give your best in an honest and trustworthy and obedient day's labor for that boss because you are representing Jesus Christ in the work that you are performing. You're representing the good character of Jesus Christ as you give an honest day's labor for an honest day's pay. So we know that we are to represent Jesus Christ even in the work environment. We are to be trustworthy and upstanding, and we are to give our very best in the way that we give labor because we're giving our labor ultimately to serve the Lord. Well, Paul covers a lot of relationship territory here in Colossians chapter 3 verses 18 through Colossians 4 1 husbands and wives and children and family and even our work world relationships so the Lord is giving us guidance here in the important relationships that we have in our life husbands and wives my question today my challenge to you today is will you walk in the Lord Jesus Christ together as a husband and a wife. Husbands, will you take up the responsibility to be the spiritual leader of your home and your family? Will you set the spiritual pace for your family? Will you see to it that your family worships together and is reminded of the Lord's love together day after day? In your authority as the husband and the father of your family, I pray we have men who will rededicate their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ in the way that you live in and work in your families. I pray that the wife will want to be the helpmeet to her husband and you walk together in ministry together. You are a ministry team. In every wedding that I've done, especially in recent days, I've reminded that brand new couple who's coming together under the grace of Jesus Christ to be married, that they are no longer individuals, but they have been put together by God as a team. God put them together as husband and wife for many, many reasons. Family, home, maybe children. But to be a team of service, they can do more in service to the Lord Jesus Christ together than they could do it separately. My prayer, husbands and wives, listening today, is that you will rededicate your life to be that team of ministry. I also pray that you will be a blessing to your children, that you will reach out to them in the love and the guidance and the wisdom and even the discipline of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they will obey and they will learn the basic building blocks of what it means to be a human being who wants to practice righteousness and godliness in their own lives as they are growing up. So parents, will you reach your babies? Will you reach your children? Perhaps there's even time right now to reach your grown children and make an impact for Jesus Christ in their lives. It's so very important. It's one of the most important outreaches of your entire Christian life is to reach your children. And then, too, we realize that whatever work we're entrusted with in these days, we are to do it as we do it unto the Lord, uh, as a labor of love, as a labor that puts forth the character of Jesus and gives our very best energy in whatever he puts before us to do. So believers, this scripture today teaches us that our service to Jesus Christ goes far beyond a church pew. It goes into our lives in general, in home, in community, in a work world, wherever we might be, we are to be a witnessing unit for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Today I pray that we will rededicate our marriages and rededicate our homes and rededicate our church ministry and rededicate our, our parenting skills and our work skills to be used for Jesus Christ. Someone told me that one of the greatest outreaches he's ever had in his workplace is that he leaves a Bible on his desk. And many, many people have seen that Bible over the course of time. Many of us are not able to leave a Bible where we work. But if you have an opportunity to do that, that would be a wonderful outreach. But serve the Lord Jesus Christ however he calls you to serve him. And as I draw this sermon to a close today, as we rededicate our lives to families and to homes and even to the work world, my prayer is that we will be faithful to serve Jesus Christ there. But today, all of the Scripture has been directed to people who know Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you are joining us for worship today and you've never come to Jesus as your Savior, the, cl the conclusion of my sermon is this. I'm inviting you to Him. We're coming up on the Easter season now, and we realize that this is the most joyous time of year, but it starts with Good Friday when Jesus, literally the Son and the Lamb of God, died on the old rugged cross and shed His blood there as the perfect Son so that imperfect people can be saved and forgiven. Jesus took our place on the cross of punishment that you and I might be forgiven. If you've never come to Him today, He's inviting you to come to know Him as your Lord and your Savior because He died on the cross for you that you might be forgiven. But also never forget that on the third day, he rose again. We do not worship a dead Savior on a cross. We worship a living Savior who rose from the grave, who lives today, who joins us today. However you're worshiping, wherever you're worshiping today, Jesus Christ is joining you there. And if you've never received him, you can simply come and say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on a cross for me. And I believe on Easter morning you rose from the grave that I might have eternal life. I want to put my life in your hands I open my heart for you to be my Savior and my Lord. And in all things, Lord, from my family to my personal life to my work world, I will follow the footsteps of Jesus. I invite you to him. I'm so grateful that we can worship together today, even in a way that's a little strange uh, in the way that we've done it in the past. But praise God, we hear his word today, and it speaks to us. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, thank you for these moments of worship, Lord. Thank you for these words that came through the pen of Paul 2,000 years ago, inspired by God to teach us, Lord, about what it means to truly be the family you created, to truly be the husband and wife you want us to be, to truly be the parents and the children that you want us to be. Our relationship in the world even extends to our work world as we go out into the community, Lord. I pray that we will rededicate our lives to being your witnesses and your ministers and your representatives wherever life takes us. Thank you, Lord, that this word is a living word and it is spoken to us today. It is spoken to me through this week. Father, I pray for that one who needs Jesus as Lord and Savior. Today, he or she cannot walk to this altar and receive you in this church building. Oh, but Lord, they can receive you. They can receive you right where they are, in their living room, in their car, wherever they're listening to this sermon, Lord. They can receive you accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior simply by saying, I am a sinner, Jesus, but I believe you died for me on the cross. You took away my sin. You died in my place. And you rose from the grave to give me eternal life. Lord Jesus, I believe it, and I accept you as my Savior this moment. 
And this moment, Jesus will move into your heart and give you eternal life and a new purpose and a new reason for living. Bless us, Father, as we approach your altar of grace and rededication and salvation this morning. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' precious name. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.